Hello, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about money. Before we begin though, we just want to say that this is only a discussion. There are no right or wrong answers. These are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything. We are just two dudes talking. Mick, we're going to be talking about money today. And, you know, money is a big part of our lives, but how much do we really think about what it is and how much do we really understand it? And that's kind of what we want to discuss and, and more so what is our understanding of what money is. So we've talked about it a little bit beforehand to, to get us going and we think that money begins with value. So that's where we're going to start today's discussion. All right, I've got a definition for value here. It's, it's one I've got from one of the dictionaries, but I've adjusted it a, a slight bit. Value is the relative worth, utility, or importance we, meaning us humans, place on something. Now, this can be, and, and, and it comes from originally an individual level. So us as individuals will look at something and we'll say, okay, that has some sort of worth to it, worth to us. But we also look at it at a collective level. So we look at a group of people and say, okay, collectively, you know, what's the average value that this group will place on something? So how does that sound to you in terms of what value is? Or do you perhaps see value a little bit differently to what I just described? No, I think that uh, I think that clearly uh, uh, communicates what value is in my mind, anyway. Um, and that uh, I think really is to highlight that it is subjective; that there is no finite finite definition of value or finite, um, I guess, number to value. Um, so it is different from person to person, time to time, even from place to place. You can imagine being in different environments you would place value on on different things at different levels. So, you know, in abundance of when you've got food, you're all good. But if you, uh, let's say you, you got stuck in the bush, food becomes uh, very valuable at that point, uh, more valuable than maybe at home when you've got it all stocked in your cupboard. So, yeah, value is highly subjective, I think, um, is, the, is the main takeaway in my mind. Yeah, and those are very important points that it does vary – First of all, I've split it into two different ways that it can vary. So first of all, between each individual, like for example, we'll look at this table, right? And to us, this is very valuable because it holds, you know, the, the mixer, it holds the microphones, it holds all that. But to someone else who, I don't know, is trying to dance in this room, let's say, this table may be in the way, so it may be of low value to them, you know? And that's, so that's one way, one example of how it can vary just between each individual's. But then again, it could vary over time, like you said. So right now we're using this table for recording a podcast. But, you know, at another point in time, you might want to use this room for some work that you're doing, which I know you did. So, yeah, just to keep those two things in mind, and I think it, it helps to split them up into that it varies between each individual, but also over time. So me as an individual right now, I value this highly me 10 minutes or maybe not 10 minutes, maybe a couple of hours from now when I want to jump around and do flips in this room, I'm going to want to get rid of this table. Yeah, exactly. And it's really strange the way in which we can value things at certain times too can be very emotional. So if you think about if I uh, basically left the functionality of this table, but then I sand this area so that it exposes the underneath wood and you would see a very different color here to the rest of it look like a patch. Um, our value of this table might actually drop 
just because of its aesthetics, not nothing in its functionality changed. So um, it just shows how subjective value can be, I guess. So yeah, definitely. And then continuing on from that, other things that affect our value judgment is is our personal desires. You know, it's the things that drive us. We may both look at the same painting, and to me, it might be beautiful, but to you, you're like that's a piece of garbage. And so that's just you know internal motivations that kind of shift the way we value things our own experiences so i don't know maybe you have a good example of this but maybe you know when we're young we'll use something or we'll look at something we'll be like that's rubbish that means nothing to me for example maybe like a power tool when you're young you don't know how to use it you don't know how to build anything you look at it and you're like that's rubbish that's just in the way for me whereas when you're older and you have more experiences you understand how to put things together how to build something you look at a drill and you'll be like oh that's great i can use it in a whole bunch of different ways so it'll have a different value to you yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, even things like reading and writing, you imagine as a kid, you're sort of like, oh, I couldn't be bothered reading and writing. But as you get older, you see the value of taking those stories in for yourself. So, yeah, that it can be it can be placed on so many different things in so many different ways. Um, but what we I think what is clear is it's always going to be subjective um, and it's never going to be sort of finite or, or well-defined. Yeah, that's right. And in highlighting all these different things that affect how we value something, it is just, again, to reinforce that message of it is subjective. So anytime we look at something and we say, you know, definitively that is worthless or that is worth a lot, we can't say that. We can say that for ourselves and we can say that for ourselves only in that point in time. But at any other point in time for any other individual, that could change. Exactly. You know, you, uh, I, I go back to that meal one, you go out and you, you have a big meal and you're full and the, you, your plates, you know, still, still, um, half full as well. And you basically, you know, the waiter takes the food away, it becomes rubbish. But, uh, yeah, like, again, if you're in a survival situation, you'd be bagging that up. You'd be making sure that you could have it for the next day and things like that. So it's, um, yeah, it, it changes quite significantly at times, even just for the individual. Um, dependent on the time or the environment or yeah a whole whole host of things i think definitely all right there's a couple more terms that i want to define uh as part of value but also this will carry out i think through the rest of our discussion and that is that these things that we can place value on can be tangible meaning that they are physical and we can sense them so anything can touch smell feel taste here uh some examples i've got here is a flower a painting a car and then they can also be intangible, meaning uh, an idea, a characteristic or an ability, maybe like a personality trait. So we value someone who is humorous, who, who's a comedian, you know. Um, some other examples I've got for this is the concept for a garden. So that's kind of an idea that we can value, but it's non-physical. A positive demeanor is something we might value. And a, an ability to sing in tune is something that we might value. These are all things that we might value highly, by the way, We'll look, we can look at anything and value it low or high. So when I use the word value, it doesn't really have a positive or negative attached to it. It just means that it's, it's a certain measure of how much it's worth to us. Yeah, I think uh, at tangible assets, are, I think uh, people tend to be quite good at figuring out, I guess, their own value of. But intangible is something that's not always easy to identify. Like you said, you might be able to cook something, but you don't realise that that's of value. You just – it's almost an automated – process because that's what you've learned maybe as a kid or something like that so 
yeah, intangible value is is or, or things that are are intangible is still important to consider. In actual fact, I think in a lot of ways they're the things that, um, and I think we'll get into this later. They're things that you don't. Some of those things you actually never lose. You take them to your grave, and I think that that's something that we need to consider. We often think about the material world and its value around us, but we often forget about the intangible experience, just even experiences um, or learnings and all the rest of it. A lot of people say, oh, it's expensive to do this, uh, to, to go, let's say I wanted to go on a road trip. It's expensive to do that. Why would I do that? But that experience that you gain from doing a road trip and maybe spending a lot of money is something that will stay for, with you for the rest of your life and often can lead to better decisions in the future as well. So um, I think that, yeah, making sure that we assess both is is really important um, for us to get the best best for ourselves, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I agree with you that obviously when we have tangible things, it's often easier to value it versus intangible things where, you know, a lot of people in themselves struggle to put a value on skills or even anything they do as a career sometimes it's hard like if you're a tradesman it's often difficult oh how much should i charge for this i don't really know whereas you know to them it might be something they do constantly consistently day in day out but then to their customer it may be like you know i don't know anyone who can do this this is highly valuable to me so yeah i think that's a really good point that it's often easier for us to judge tangible things and place a value on them than it is to do for intangible things yeah, and I think it's easier to identify, like, share that value as well. So, like, you can see a physical object and people can share that value because it's something that they can, I guess, all relate to because they can visually see it and interact with it. Whereas when it's intangible, it's sometimes it's really difficult to communicate value. Um, so, you know, at the beginning we sort of talked about individual value but then collective value. So how do you value experiences? So sometimes if you think about, like if you think about the school system, some people place more value on the academic outcomes of school than maybe life skills that the kid could actually be having. And other people value the life skills more than the academic skills. So um, understanding, I think understanding uh, that they are all taken into account is is definitely important for us um, for each individual to, to realise. And I think that's difficult to share because not everyone's had the same experience, but if you put a tangible asset in front of someone, you can all have the same experience. So um, sometimes, yeah, tang- in, intangible is hard to compare, harder to compare, should I say. Yeah, and all those examples that you give are great, like in highlighting again how just how subjective it is, uh, which brings me to what I want to say. It comes from the the assessment or how we judge something the value we place on something does come individually but because we are all humans and whatever it is that makes us humans however we qualify that means that we have something in common and due to that we often tend to value things similarly so it may at times seem like okay there's a consistent value to this but it's it's just that we have things in common so it's likely that we're going to value it again all this to say that Although it may seem like we all think of this something the same way, we can never be definitive about it and say, yes, okay, this has X units of value. Exactly. I mean, if you think about those things that keep us alive, food, water, shelter and all the rest of it, um, and, you, and you navigate the globe, there's very different levels of value on, uh, uh, on those aspects, I guess. So, you know, if you think about a third world country that finds food, you know, just even clean water hard to find, it's, um, 
there's a high value. You know, some people, you know, your, your, your town might actually go to the main city to actually pump out the water, bring it back. Um, and so obviously that task, because of the amount of effort that went into it, they're perceiving that value of that water um, and its abundance is, is high. But you come to a country like Australia, it's a given. Like you take it for granted that you turn on the tap and the water's clean. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, uh, the value is, is, is different between those two, I guess, for the same, same thing. Yeah, I think those base needs, like if we go back to um, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, those things that keep us alive, like you said, water, food, shelter and that. I think the the lower you are on that hierarchy, the closer you are to those base needs, the more likely we will value those things similarly. And then as you get higher and up, I think that's when it kind of spreads out. And I don't know, when you get to like the esteem level, someone might may value their, their some career more than another career, whatever it is. But I think when you're at that survival level, then that's where we are most similar. But even still, we should remember like I said, it's still subjective. So there may be for some people things that they value higher than survival. So higher than living, say like adhering to principles. So, you know, you may see someone else with food, but then you're starving, but you may, you may value your principles higher. So you won't go over and steal it. Whereas someone else might be less inclined to value principles and, and more likely to go over and take it from someone else. Yeah, there's two things you said there I think that were actually really good. So, yeah, I agree. As you go up the hierarchy of needs, so there's survival needs. We're more common about the survival needs and I guess it's just dependent on the abundance in the environment. But as we go up from that, um, yeah, it does branch out because I think that we have all different personality traits. So once you're surviving, now you get to choose to f maybe fulfil your own desires or uh, emotional needs. Um, and so those are going to be very different based on different characteristic traits. Someone might be more artistic than it, and someone else might be more engineering, I guess. And so you're going to value value different things uh, the higher up you go, I guess. Um, and then uh, I think what was the other thing that you said towards the end of um, measuring the, the value? I think of, yeah, I lost the trade anyway. But, yeah, I do agree with that idea of, yeah, obviously the survival stuff is – and it's all – it's oh, that's right. You said basically some people might value life uh, uh, lower than principles. War is a classic example of that. Any soldier that puts themselves in harm's way uh, is doing it either to s probably save someone else or out of principle. And so they're willing to sacrifice their life in order to possibly, you know, the principle of giving freedom to, to the – to um, their children or, or, you know, future future um, uh, civilizations or whatever. So, yeah, um, I think every, every – in my mind, every even, – even if you think survival, every value proposition is driven from an emotional aspect. So if it's survival, it's like I've got to get this now, otherwise I'm going to die, you know. So that's an emotional drive and the emotional drive should be there so that you survive and get food. Um, so you're placing high value. So it's 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 kind of valuable in a way because it helps you prioritise what's important. Um, and I think the idea that value is subjective is really important for the individual to take into account. So if maybe you feel that you're not getting the most out of life, maybe um, a better way to get more out of life is reshape your value and start to take into consideration 
and appreciate what you've actually currently got rather than what you don't. Um, so the ability to change value propositions, if you can do that at times of need, that can be very beneficial for you um, in order to keep a, a, a nice emotional state. Yeah, that's a really powerful thing that you can do is to recognize that first of all, how I perceive something is completely up to me. How I value something is completely subjective and up to me. And so to be able to say to yourself, well, why am I placing so much value on this thing that's maybe incredibly difficult for me to attain when I can just look at something like a plant out the outside and I can just say, you know what, there's incredible value in this. And then that gives you that kind of sense of satisfaction just in doing that. And all it is is a percent, uh, change in perspective. It is. I mean, a car is a classic one that I always find interesting Everyone buy like a lot of people buy new cars that they know depreciate straight away in, in value, um, and so. But it's almost like they set their baseline at the at the level of a, a new car or one that's you know if it's five years old they go trade it in and, and get a new car. Um, but then I look at it and I go look at the car that's fifteen years old. It functions pretty much the same. So yeah, maybe there's some extra comforts and all the rest of it. But it, it's it's. Um, if you, I can imagine someone that has that new car that has that baseline, then goes into a situation where they've got to go back to an older car, they'll struggle more than someone that's just dealt with an older car and just happy to deal with that, not not too concerned about having to to always get a new the next new car, I guess, or even a phone. A phone is very classic that way. We we sort of go through these phone contracts every two or three years to and and get a new phone, and it's kind of like people feel left behind if they don't have a new phone but really what functionally is it doing much difference um so yeah it's all all driven from emotion yeah very well said all right i've got before we move on to the next uh major topic or major part to it i've got a takeaway for value and that is value i.e the relative worth utility or importance we place on something varies between individuals and over time it is impossible to make definitive statements about how any individual does or should value something. So do you think that's a good thing that those two sentences is good to take away and keep in mind when thinking about value? Yes. It says to me that you have control over what you perceive some, at the value of something, which is you don't get a control of a lot of things in life, <laughs> but that is one thing you can control somewhat is the value of things from your own perspective. Definitely. So moving on after value, we come to assets. So what are assets? Well, first of all, everyone owns things of value. So again, we talked about there's tangible things such as anything physical, anything around us. And then there's also intangible things such as our ability to do something about our ability to cook, our ability to dance, whatever it is. So then anything that we can place value on, anything that we own, with value we call an asset is that a fair enough way to think about what an asset is do you agree with that yeah it makes complete sense yeah it's things that you own of value so assets can be one of two types so it can either be a good and this next bit's a little bit tricky or it can be our ability to perform a service so oftentimes when we talk about products we'll talk about goods and services an asset though can be good so that's directly associated with an asset 
But when we're talking about services, we're not actually talking about a service that you provide someone. We're talking about your ability to provide the service. That is the asset. And like you were talking about before, that is something that it's unlikely you will lose. And the only way to truly lose that asset is to lose your ability to perform whatever that skill is. Yes. So um, I think tangible, what was it? A, a good is very, I think everyone can relate to the good being a, an asset. So anything physical you own um, is of value to you and, and uh, in extension maybe value to others. Yeah, services, services you're right. Uh, it's not to perform the service, it's the ability to undertake a service. So it's often a skill or some, some um, ability that you, you can do. And this is, I think this is important because we often see what people's, you know, you sort of see what someone's net worth is. They're worth, you know, 300 billion or whatever it is, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and all the rest of it. And you kind of wonder where, where that value comes from. And a lot of the time you think about their, their actual assets that they own. But when you look at it and the businesses they own and how uh, stock markets and all the rest of it worth, work, it is their it is their uh, ability to provide service as well, like their experience, their decision making, their ability to run business uh, a business and all the rest of it. That is actually probably what is being placed more in the value context in that monetary value than actually all the tangible assets, you know, the assets that they physical assets they have, the goods. So I think that's always important to take to into account. Each individual has a set of abilities that they can use in order to provide a service and the the range or the rarity or uh, scarcity of those uh, skills or, or abilities is what actually changes value. Because I think in a service context, and we'll probably go into this to later, obviously there's some value to yourself because you don't need anyone else to do it, but the value becomes much greater when you can give to others that. And, uh, uh, that might not always be easy to do, I guess. So there might be only a rare few people that can provide uh, an ability or a service or a skill that um, that many others can't. So their, their value is automatically going to go up um, just because of the work they can do, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's, all, that's usually the difficult part is to be able to recognise that, okay, I've got this skill that is worth something. How do I, how do I use that? How do I... Um, how do I show to others the value in this? Whereas a good is something you can look at and you'd be like, you can get other people to look at it as well and be like, yeah, okay, there's some value to it. It's a lot easier to understand that. Yeah. And then also which, which skill do you, which service do you provide? Cause if you can do a range of different things, then you've got to figure out which one do I like doing, which one do other people, which one is in most need. And you're sort of balancing up that, that ability to determine which, service you can provide is of great greater value to you and others i guess yeah 100 percent. and it's more than just that it's okay which of these which is are my strongest skills which i can provide a service using and then also well maybe my strongest skill is something that everyone else is really good at as well so then maybe one of my weaker skills is actually more valuable because there's less people who are capable of doing it even though this is something i am not as good as as the other one yeah, that's very true, particularly if they're in need. Yeah, yeah. So, Let's go a little bit more in depth into defining, okay, what is a good and a service? So goods, let's focus on this first. 
goods are things that can be owned and traded. Okay, so when you have a good, it's something that we can have possession of and we can also relinquish possession of. And so that that will um, make a bit more sense why I bring that up when we go into services a bit more. But for now, just focus on the fact that, okay, a good is anything you can own and anything that you can then give up or trade. So is that fair? Are you happy to go with that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give an example that um, would you consider software a good? Yes, so I'm about to get to that. So everything tangible, every tangible asset is a good. So anything physical that can be owned, that can be traded, we consider as a good. Now, some intangible assets are also good. So any, some things that are non-physical. Beautiful example there, a software license. That is something that it, it has no physical presence, but it is something you can own and maybe you can't trade it, but you can own and you can get rid of it. So I would consider that as a good. Yeah, that makes sense. So some other functions we can perform with a, a good is that it can be retained, it can be used, consumed, gifted, or traded. So that's not to say that every good can have all of these traits, but generally these are things that we can do with goods. So retained, obvious, is something we can hold onto it. Use, we can use it up. So if it's something uh, physical, whatever, or consumed as well. So if it's like an apple or a piece of food, you'll consume it. You'll actually ease it, eat it. Uh, gift it so you can give it away to someone or trade it where you're exchanging for something else. Do you want to say anything about goods before we move on to services? No, that makes, yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think uh, excluding any sort of, sometimes you might buy something and you legally can't resell it or something like that. We're removing that aspect. It can be sold again, possibly, but based on legal things that might block you from that. So yeah, that helps out with the software one. So sometimes you buy software and you can't actually redistribute it or sell it. Um, so basically you could technically do that, but laws prevent you from doing that. So. Yeah, I think for the time being, if you're happy to do this, let's let's leave out what is this legal versus what you can physically do. Yeah, yep. And that's what I was trying to do, strip that yeah. out from the conversation basically so people don't get confused. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's that's a really good point. Um, all right, so moving on to services. Once again, services are the result of using our skills or abilities. So the asset itself in a service is our ability to perform the service, not the service itself. That is just a result of us using the asset. Skills are intangible and non-transferable. So for example, maybe I can play the piano, right? I can teach you to play the piano, but I don't lose that ability myself. So it's it's if you want to think of it this way, a good is something where you're actually cutting and pasting a service is something where you're copying and pasting. So the original remains. That's a really, that's a really good analogy. Yeah. So the original, yeah, it's, it's reproducible, but it's not transferable. Yes. So once again, services impossible to trade the asset. Um, yeah. The only way to lose uh, the asset, which is your ability to perform a service is to actually lose that skill or ability, which like you said, for the most part, doesn't necessarily happen unless we die or, you know, old age, disease, whatever it is, gets to us. Yeah, either mental decline or, or yeah, or, the, the you know, you physically decline, so you lose your hands, so you lose the ability to cook or something like that. So, yep. yes. 
All right, so I've got a, is there anything else about assets that you want to say otherwise? Or I've got a takeaway for that and we can move on to the next section. No, I think that's very clear. Yeah, yeah. It's really just an extension of the tangible, intangible assets. Um, and I think it's being set up so that we understand how they're traded. Yep. So the takeaway for assets is we all own many things of value, which we call assets. They may be in the form of tangible and or intangible goods or intangible abilities slash skills we can use to provide a service. So again, these takeaways are just kind of a recap of the sections and just things that, okay, this is what's important or what we feel is important about this this part of the topic. Yeah, so I guess the real difference is a good is something you transfer, whereas a, uh, whereas a service is something you reproduce. So whether it's reproducing as a service, so like you're doing it over and over again, or you're actually cloning it with someone else so they can actually provide that service as well. Whereas when you relinquish a good, you relinquish it, it's gone. Yep, yep. That's, that's how I like to picture as well and the, the way I make the distinction. Moving on to the next section. So I just want to pause for a minute and say that like this is all leading up to okay, well, where, what is money? Where does it come from? What are its properties? Those kind of things. So if, if it seems like, okay, I don't know why you're moving from value to assets. It's because, okay, we're trying to build up to this is what where money comes from. This is the properties it should have. Yeah, I think so. If I think about value, what we're doing there is we're looking at the individual. And now when we're talking about assets, we're looking at more than a single individual because we're talking about the ability to own something. And that takes... Ownership means that there's more than one of people, if that makes sense. Because if there was only one person, he could consider they they could consider that they own everything. So an asset means I own some stuff, you own some stuff. So yeah, I think that that's important to 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 go into the understanding of money. Definitely, definitely. And we could go on a whole tangent about ownership and you know if that's right or wrong. But we're going to assume for the time being that yes, people can own things. <laughs> All right, so moving on from assets then, I've got the next section is excess. So like I said, we're leading up to money, which is is used in trading. So trade begins with excess. In order for me to give you something, I have to have more of that thing than I need. So one thing I want to say about uh, excess is that we will never trade anything that we need. Now, this this may be difficult to kind of understand because we often think that you know i don't want to how can i say this a lot of the time it feels like we think we need more things than we do like if you really needed something you would fight for it tooth and nail but i'm saying okay it's only once we have those things that if i lose it i can go on without it or it doesn't compromise my ability to survive or my principles that is what i mean by excess so the bar for that is a lot lower than I think a lot of people might think of it. So maybe you can help me out here. When I talk about excess, what does that make you feel like? Does that make you feel like, you know, okay, I've got enough stockpile for myself and then extra is, okay, I really don't need this. Or does that make you feel like, okay, I've got enough to survive, but I could use enough, like it could be good to hold on to some things to, to you know, have a bit of a stockpile to survive, to I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, okay. I, I guess what you're trying to describe is where does 
where does the idea of excess start to come in for and I think maybe each individual is going to be a little bit different on this I kind of go to the rudimental sense like you were saying before if uh, if I've got enough to survive then anything extra than that is excess and I think by thinking that way it puts me in a good state of understanding what value is to me because if I have a low baseline, if survival is my baseline, anything above that is a win. So that's always a good feeling. Whereas if I thought excess is oh, I'm, I'm beyond comfort, that's a very different level. Um, and that might be difficult to attain and, and uh, you have a higher perception of value and there's some complications for yourself that might happen that way. I will say one thing. I wouldn't say I, I feel like not always will you only trade when you're in excess um what and the reason i say that let's i'm going to create a bit of a hypothetical situation now you might say that the need is different here but it's not trading because i have an excess it's trading because out of out of uh force i guess so let's say i kidnapped someone right and you wanted to take everything i own in order to get that person back I might trade absolutely everything, not because of excess, but out of uh, power and force, I guess. So I think that there, while for the majority of time, yes, we only trade when we have excess, I think there are social situations that where that doesn't always apply. And I don't know how you, what, what do you think about that? Very good point. I should change the way I introduce this section because... You're right. And what I will lead into is that in that scenario, you kidnap someone and wants a ransom for it. It's not that you're in excess. It's that you value that person's life more than you value the goods or services, whatever it is that they're asking for. So yes, that is a very good point that it's not necessarily that you have something in excess that will cause a trade. It's that you value something higher than something else that will cause a trade. Yes, that's 100% correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I want to just, yeah, thanks for helping me out there. That's a really good way to put it is that when thinking about need, I'm thinking about it from, okay, what do you need to survive? Not what do you need to be comfortable? So that's kind of where I draw the line. Survival is the baseline. And then anything after that is excess. I would agree with that. Yes, definitely. And then excess can lead to obviously trade from there. That's, that's really um yeah yeah so sticking with excess for the time being the more of something that we own the less we start to value each individual unit okay let me give you an example for this say i own one apple okay cool i'm hungry i want that apple it's unlikely i'm going to give that up say i own let's say 100 apples just to make it really obvious now any individual one of those apples how likely am I going to value it the same as I would that single apple that I originally had? So that single apple, I'm like, I'm not going to trade it for you for anything. If I've got a hundred apples, one apple, I'll trade it for you for something that, you know, is probably worth very little. Yeah. I, I, I really like this idea of, um, yeah, different points in time. The yeah, excess leads to lower, lower perception of value, which can lead to complacency. And I think that we're in a in a time in which we consume uh, because we are fooled with the amount of excess we actually have. 
but we don't think that the long-term repercussions of this abundance at this point in time, what it can cost us long-term as well. So it's a it's an interesting I – lo- I really like the, the Apple thing and, and the, the way that it keeps coming back to me is that survival technique. So, you know, if I'm on a farm, well, every apple's worth, you know, whatever – sense I can sell it to the supermarket or whatever but if I'm if I'm stuck in the wild that that apple is priceless I'm not giving it to anyone if I haven't had a feed for a couple of days so you know just the changing environment can really change a level of value and I think that one of the flaws that we have is this we've set up an environment where we are creating a significant abundance of things um at, that we're starting to place low value on i just think about all the plastic items that we get like at, at the what do you call them at um at like a kmart or, or a, a, a novelty store or a variety store whatever they call them and um just the low value that you know you're buying for a couple of dollars and everything like that and just what costs that will end up costing us in the long run and um yeah the complacency it puts us in that state um, so it's always being cautious that you, if you're in abundance, um, you should be very careful about your behaviour and how you um, uh, uh, value how you still perceive value and try to make sure that you're not complacent and drop that value to a point which is detrimental. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. It's yeah, we need to also consider when we're looking at this excess. Okay, what take time into consideration. If if I value it lowly now, but I'm not able to produce any more in the future, then maybe I should look at this a bit with a bit more, you know, eye. I'd be like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't get rid of that just yet because I won't be able to actually produce it in the future. Versus, you know, if, if it's sustainable, then it's like, well, I can always produce it in the future, so I'm not as worried about it. And that's something maybe we don't really it's very difficult to keep that in our minds when we look at something like you said, like plastic it's like you know this is why this is going to run out in the future this is you know such a waste and we're going to have to keep producing it like there's so much going on with that but yeah just i don't know that's a really good point that it's not necessarily just that you have excess or something it's also okay think about where is it going where is it coming from and take that into consideration yeah so like trees is a really good one like uh you know maybe we're a little bit more sensitive to this now but you know, in the previous century, I think we just strip a whole forest. Oh, we've got excess. We've got heaps of trees. Let's just kill them all. But once you take those trees out, you've got no more trees left. So you might have had excess at that peak period of time, um, but uh, the, it might take 25 years to, to replenish that that forest again to back to where it was previously. So really you fooled yourself with the excess. There, there wasn't a balance there. So you took the abundance and then you expend it to a point where it becomes a rarity. I'm just writing down here, time-dependent excess. <laughs> because when we think about it, and usually it's just a snapshot at a single point in time, but actually we should consider it across a certain time horizon. And I guess the longer the time horizon, the better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So excess, as we've noted, generally leads to us valuing things lower. Us valuing something lower will generally look at us, generally lead to us wanting to trade for something else that is of equivalent value. So, you know, we produce something or we are capable of providing a service well in excess of what we need to survive. 
So we tend to look at something that someone else has and go, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll give up some of this for what they've got because to me it's worth the same or worth more. Yeah, and I think this is where manipulation can start to occur. So if you think about it, let's say it's really funny when you think about these things and and as we go through just the simple terms about where the root of some of these problems come from. So if you think about the idea of um, excess, let's say I had excess of those trees but I couldn't get rid of them. The, the, the demand for it wasn't high. And yet let's say – oh, maybe food's a better one because trees is a bit hard. Let's say I harvest a whole lot of oranges, right, and I have excess of oranges. Now I, and, uh, uh, now I need to create – I might need to actually create a demand because I want to get rid of all the oranges because I get full trade then. Um, so I'm gonna, I might do certain things to really push the idea that other people want oranges because of the excess I actually have at that point in time and I want to trade as much of that to get the best value for me. Um, so, yeah, there's probably a few games that can happen when excess occurs, not only from that we, we start to trade, but you might push trade because you have excess of something at some given point in time. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like in setting up this foundational understanding of where money starts to come from, it, a lot of the problems that we see and we face today, we can actually trace back to these. And it's, yeah, if you stop and take the time just to think about the term itself and okay, what can that lead to? Yeah, you can get into situations where it's like, well, now I've got this excess that I want to get rid of. So I'm going to start trying to manipulate other people in order to be able to get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about the economy and all the rest of it, I don't think that that's really, you know, the things that I've read or whatever, it's not really covered or maybe it is covered in a very low light. But to me, excess is where things start to sh sh shift and change and uh, become start to can become complicated, I guess, about, um, yeah, subverting what value is for others. And yeah. Continuing with that idea, I want to say that, we all have excess. So thinking back to really all we need is to what, what we need to survive. Anything beyond that is excess. We all have excess. We have tangible or intangible goods beyond what we need. Well, most of us, maybe if you go to some places in the world, it's going to be a little bit different. But for if someone's capable of watching this, I assume that <laughs> first of all, just the ability to whatever a screen, a computer, a telephone, whatever, that is in excess of what is actually necessary to survive. So fair to say that here, I guess. And then, yeah, so excess goods, but we also have excess uh, abilities to provide a service. And I think this is true for everyone. Everyone has an ability to do something in excess of what they need. To, so say for yourself, maybe let's use cooking as an example. You can use that skill to cook for yourself but how much of your time are you actually using to cook what you need to survive versus, you know, maybe you need to spend an hour a day cooking to satiate yourself, but then what are you doing with those other 23 hours? You could use that to help other people and that is your excess. Yeah, exactly. I think that was a really good statement to make is that, yes, yeah, there are some people in the world that uh, don't have the fortune of having excess, but anyone listening definitely has excess. Uh, otherwise, they'll be treating their TV for food or their, their tablet or computer or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I, 
I think we we all uh, have access to something. And service is a good one. I think that makes it difficult at times to figure out what to do because, you know, you have a wide diverse set of skills and uh, where you're going to get the most value when you trade that with others. Um, so, you know, we all, I think, you know, most of us know how to clean or cook or, or do those kind of things. But sometimes, you know, like we um, we we don't cook, we go get takeaway or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, we definitely have excess and sometimes that makes it difficult for us to determine what we should be doing. All right, so our takeaway for excess then is owning excess assets leads to lower value judgment of our own assets resulting in us valuing items others possess higher than our own, increasing the likelihood we will want to trade. Yeah, and I really think the takeaway for me here is that, um, yeah, as we have excess, we get complacent. We drop the value of things and it's to be mindful of that. Um, so if you go backwards, you're not going to hurt, you know, so don't consider excess your new baseline. <laughs> yep. All right, from excess, we're going to move on to economy. And this is just a very high level view of what an economy is because I think it's necessary for the continuing parts of the conversation. So I've got here a definition. An economy is a social structure that comprises the production, distribution and consumption of goods and services. So in more simpler terms, uh, the economy is just a system of defining how goods and services are managed. Do you agree with that definition? Yes. So an economy, if we consider it as a system, we consider that there's uh, a, a set number of, I guess, rules generally in the economy for trade to occur and, and to manage that that trade. Well, it's more than just trade. So there's more many aspects to an economy, including the production of goods, the distribution of goods, which is trade will fit under that, and also the consumption of goods. Yeah, but it, they all lead to in order for trade to occur. So production is for trade to occur. Distribution is for trade to occur. So they all function for trade to actually happen. Is that? I guess so. You could think of it that way, but you couldn't because think of trade as just a means of distribution, right? You don't necessarily have to trade to distribute. You could steal from people instead of trading with people. You could give away things instead of trading with people. So it's not necessarily trade in and of itself. It's it's other things it's just how we manage the assets but that goes back to the rules then would you consider stealing against the rule of the economy well it depends what your economy how your economy is set up yes so is economy a system does it have it because any system has a set of rules that's what makes it a system i guess yes so the economy does have a set of rules for so is it in your mind if it's a set of rules isn't that set of rules there in order for trade to occur or am i miss is there something i'm missing here no it's not necessarily for trade to occur it's just how we how we again produce distribute or consume don't think about trade for it for a minute how you produce something an item whatever it is like how we go about that there's rules for that how we distribute it again it may not be trade it may be like if you look at what is it um socialism where everyone to each according to their needs whatever it is like you're just given things we don't actually trade between one another someone will produce it and then you'll be given that thing and then consumption i don't have a good example for consumption but in general terms and and maybe i'm not thinking about necessarily how the economy is set up for us currently i'm just thinking about an economy in general it's just the management of assets the rules that dictate the management of assets 
Yep. So in your mind, when you have a, let's say that was a good example of having um, a um, communism, I guess. So in that case, if you're given, that isn't considered a trade in that, that point. You could, if you look at trade in the very general sense, which is just an exchange, yes. When I use the word trade here and when we get to trade, which is the next section, I de define it as the exchange of goods or services between human beings. Whereas if you look, you can look at anything like the exchange of energy is a trade. Okay, yes. I, I think that makes sense. So in a, if I gift you something, that's not a trade because I'm not getting something in return. Correct. Yeah, okay. okay. At least that's how I'm framing it. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so you're saying because trade doesn't always occur in the exchange of goods or services, um, but you still consider those those gifting or whatever as part of the economy. Yes. Okay, yes. great. Yep. Yep. So, okay, Good. I think we're clear enough. It, it, it's not as important to this discussion to understand that, but I think it's good to have an awareness of. Well, I was going to say, economy. actually, in, in definitions of economy, each economy determines these things differently. So it is actually true to uh, the, different def the different ways in which an economy is applied. So sometimes – I'll give you an example. So um, sometimes housewives do the service of looking after homes, but it's not included in the economic – statistics other times it actually in other countries it might be considered as part of the economic statistics so it's an interesting so i think everyone the way they apply the term economy might change slightly based on what they see the system providing so i think it was good to actually nail that out okay that's a very good point yeah because i well i wasn't aware of like that that kind of difference between it but yes yeah, so from a general sense and the way we're talking about it it is any way that it's produced, distributed, or consumed. That's all part of the economy, regardless if you agree with the manner that it occurs. So for this conversation, we're going to be focusing on the distribution aspect of an economy. Specifically, we're focusing on trading. So once again, you don't necessarily have to trade, which is the exchange of goods or serv and or services between individuals. You could just have that, okay, in this economy, maybe everyone just willfully gives things that they have in excess to other people or you know what i would think would be a worse economy you have you know items are just being stolen from you left right and center so from the economy then we're going to move on to the next section which is trade and again this is this is where i kind of make a distinction about exactly what trade is in economic terms and this is how i define it Trade is the transfer of goods and or services between two parties. Now, I don't have – a party can be – usually we think of it as humans like me trading with you, but it can also be with like an entity which is a company or a business. It doesn't necessarily have to be with a human individual. Are you happy with that distinction of what trading actually means? Yeah, yeah. So trading – yeah. Trading's. I mean, a business is an extension of a group of individuals under a single umbrella, I guess. So, um, yeah, so it's collectively or in through individual. Yeah. So when we talk about trade, then I'll try to remember that to, to refer to the trade between parties, which instead of trade between individuals, because it can be either or. All right. From that, the next term I want to talk about is, is a market. And this is just to make sure that we're on the same page about what a market actually is. And it's very basic and more general than I initially thought before I started doing my research, which is 
A market is just anywhere the items are traded. So anywhere that where people are exchanging goods or services, we can consider that a market. So that can be physical, such as a bazaar where you've got like stalls on, along a road and people trading, that's a market. But it can also be virtual. So such as a cryptocurrency exchange where it's completely digital. No one actually goes to the physical places and exchanges it. But that is also a market because trading is occurring. Yeah, that's right. Stock, stock markets and yeah, foreign exchange markets. So yeah, there's a yeah abstract or or tangible. Uh, it's almost like intangible or tangible markets. Yeah, yeah. Which is trading the different <laughs> assets. <laughs> yes, yes. So all these terms, like they they're reoccurring, they come up, and there's there's like common themes between each section. Now this point is is one that uh, I want to really hammer in and get across, and that is that trade is ideally positive sum. Now what I mean by that is that. Both parties in a trade, so me and you, wherever it is, me in a business, feel like we are gaining from the trade. We are benefiting from the trade. So we need to think back to here. Okay, remember value is subjective. So the way I value something is different to you. The way you value something is different to me. When we're looking at what each other is offering, we both think that what the other person has is worth more than what we have. And so ideally... Any trade that we do, we are trading for something that we think is worth more than what we have and the other party in that trade is also trading for something that they think is worth more than what we have, which is it, it, when, I, when, I, when I first realized that this is possible in trade, it was like mind-blowing for me because I'm like, oh, that is really cool that you know we can actually have a situation where both people are happy going away from it. Both people are winning from this trade. Yeah, and uh, and it could help balance uh, balance. Uh, I guess if you consider economy as the the managing of that, it could help balance that too. Because so I think I'll give an example so that it makes it a bit clearer. Um, so basically, you own a motorbike, I own a jet ski. I've been playing around on the jet ski for years now. I got sick of it. You've been playing around on your bike for years. You're sick of it. We somehow meet each other. We go. I want your bike. And you go, I want your jet ski. We trade and what we traded is in our mind perceived as lower value than what we receive. And so you saw the jet ski at higher value than the bike and I saw the bike at a higher value than the jet ski. And so out of that, we both feel that we actually had a good trade. And so that's a positive outcome for both of us. Really good example. And like that's a, that is a really good, really clear example and – it may be difficult to see in other trades that we do, but that's how it should be with every single trade that we do. We should look at something. If we go to a supermarket and look at the food, we're like, okay, this food is more valuable to me than the money in my pocket right now. You know, whatever it is, whatever we're doing. And again, this goes back to right where we started the conversation with value, with excess. It's the excess that allows us to see other things because once again, if we have excess, we start to value the excess items, excess units lower than we do the initial units and so that's where we start to think okay i can trade this for something else and it's going to be worth more than i've got but i've still got what i need to survive yeah there's a whole lot of things that pop off and i won't go off in tangents but i think yeah i mean it can really shape the way about how you feel about the world when you think about these things this way so um and how you shape the 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 value of things for yourself 
And uh, I think it just all comes back to just referencing that, you know, try not to link the excess of something. Try not to forget its value when it isn't in excess. That's really what it comes down to. So like food is a really good one. We're very complacent about it when we have excess of it, but we would be in sheer fear when when that ran out. And so it's always to remember that when you have excess of something to still give it value and to not be complacent. 100%. I mean, food is a great example. You know, how many of us actually, if if the supermarkets were empty tomorrow, how many of us would be able to grow our own food, produce our own food, get our own food? Like just take a minute to think about that and then think about, okay, how much are you actually valuing that banana that you're buying from the supermarket? And this is where those services or skills that you build up, so we call them service when we actually, I guess when we trade it because we're giving the service, you know, to someone else. But those skills and those abilities that you pick up along the way sometimes can be greater than assets because if this house burns down, I don't have a house. If I don't know how to build another house, I'm stuck. But if I have the ability to build another house, I'm not stuck for much longer. So, yeah, food is another one. Like you said, imagine if the food, the supermarket shut down or some way where food was no longer uh, it was very difficult to trade, there wasn't much to trade, then that ability to grow your own food becomes at a great value, um, that skill and ability. Mm. So it's always to to remember the ability to actually do, I think the survival things yourself is, is probably key, something we should probably teach in schools because, yeah, if you remove it all, you know, who says, I mean, it's highly unlikely, but who says we're not invaded and completely just, you know, destroyed as a country? And at that point, skills become very important to, to, to get society back on its feet. Yeah, really great point. I mean, for myself, that's kind of where the, the level I want to get at in life is to be able to have the skills that, okay, I don't expect anything to go wrong tomorrow. I don't want anything to go wrong tomorrow, but I want to have the skills and ability and knowledge and understanding that, okay, if something does go wrong tomorrow, if I'm dropped in a forest tomorrow, I can survive. I have the skills, the assets in, in my skills to survive. It makes you really. It makes you really start to think about um, the time that you use. What what your priority is. Like even just, I think about um, self defense. Even just learning the ability to defend yourself in situations. You know, we just. I, I don't think most people do do it because there isn't a need to do it. But you know, if we were invaded or whatever ended up happening, that 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 skill starts to 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 come into effect. Um, so, yeah, learning all your survival skills, I think, and, and knowing them all the time throughout life is is still very valuable. Um, yeah. Definitely. All right, this next point, I think you may dis- you slightly disagree with me and I want to talk about that. So the next assertion that I want to make, zero-sum and negative-sum trades are bad deals and shouldn't happen. So zero-sum meaning that uh, I give up something – no – we make a trade and one of us feels like we're winning and the other person feels like they're losing to the same amount. So, you know, you, you trade me the jet ski, I trade you the bike, but I'm like, you know, I don't really want the bike. I want the, I don't really want the jet ski. I want the bike. Whereas you're like, Oh, I love this. This is good. This turned out really well for me. So that would be like zero sum. Negative sum is that we both feel, and I think we'll both, we both agree on this. Negative sum is where both parties feel like they lost out in the trade. So we trade, 
jet ski and bike and both of us are like, oh, actually, you know, what? I don't want this. I want the, the other item back. Yeah, so I, I'll start with what we agree. I, I do agree, yeah. If if there's both sides have a negative sum trade, then there's something wrong with the system. There's something that went wrong, um, whether it's the individuals that thought they had to trade when they didn't or whatever it is, it, something went wrong. Uh, what was the next one? Did you call it a negative sum? Zero sum. So oh, negative zero sum, sum is we both lose. Yeah. Yep. Zero sum is that uh, one loses, one wins. Yeah, so zero sum I am still – I still don't have a full opinion on um, because it definitely does occur and it can occur because of time dependent aspects. Um, so I might lose now, but win later uh, could be a possible situation uh, where I have to do a bad trade now in order to gain benefit possibly later. Now you could probably say that value is still there because I'm seeing a future value, but I would say that in that individual trade wasn't a value to me, or uh, it could be situations that are outside my control, and I don't think that's always bad. And I'll give you a reason why. If you think about when high inflation occurs, it occurs to pe- put people's perspective back in check a lot of the time. So, you know, when inflation, I get the symptom of inflation are caused when we have severe abundance and we don't respect the abundance that we have and the demand that we actually have. So at some point a break in the system occurs and inflation goes through the roof and and when inflation goes through the roof, it is often a bad trade. But there's value to getting the whole system back into check. Um, I want to stop you there for a second. First of all, I'm not too sure that we both – picture what we mean by inflation the same so i i kind of want to keep that off the table for the time being like we'll build up to it hopefully in future podcasts and get a better understanding of that do you have another example where you're okay. not using that i'll go buy something today for food right that cost me twice as much as it was last year i think that's a bad trade but are you still valuing that food more than you are the money in your pocket uh well, I guess if I make a purchase, I am. Well, then why is that a lose? Because a year ago, I could get it for half the price. That comes down to what you were saying. I kind of understand, I think, where we might, where where it starts to get a bit confusing between us is because we have to take time into consideration. Like you said, I might make a trade today that benefits me tomorrow. And I don't have a good clear answer for this. Like what is the time frame that we are considering? Okay, this is a good trade versus this is a bad trade. I don't think there's a clear cut answer to that. I think it's, it's yeah. You might do something today that in 10 years you regret, but today it feels like it was a good trade. So I'm not sure. Okay, well then do we consider that time frame of 10 years or do we consider the time frame of today that it was a good trade? Yeah, the time-dependent aspect of it is hard for me to resolve. That's why I actually don't have a clear answer because I know that poor trades are going to occur. Uh, I do think that this happens a lot and um, I'm not confident enough to say that's always a bad thing. Uh, Maybe it's a good thing in certain situations. And so that's where it becomes a bit difficult for me to fully say, Every one of them, I guess, is a is a bad outcome. Um, and some of that is because it might keep you in check. Some of that might be because um, um, 
in check or that you might there's an there's a loss you need to take to get your ultimate end game um, but I would say we probably both agree something to do with the time dependent component of that that makes it a bit difficult for me to answer yeah to try and make it maybe a bit more obvious going back to your example of the jet ski and the motorbike so maybe I received the jet ski I think I was getting the jet ski I want the jet ski by the way I don't know I'd prefer that over the motorbike maybe I enjoy that jet ski say for a year's time but after a year I'm like you know what I actually want my motorbike back so then you know for that year it was a good trade but now for after that you know it's like oh maybe I should have kept the motorbike you know so that kind of shows that it depends you know when are you taking that assessment of okay that was a good trade versus yeah exactly I mean it's like the same thing I said before if I pay double the price of something today than than was even just a couple of months ago I feel that the trade is bad but in the instant of the moment, it's only the value is only as much as someone's going to pay for it. So if people pay for it more and I still make the purchase, I would agree that I see still that it's a worthwhile trade, but I might not feel that it's a worthwhile trade because it's double the price it was three months ago. Personally, I think it, it has to be in the, at the point of trade or very shortly after the point of trade is kind of where you have to make that judgment was that win-win i don't think like because we talked about value is highly subjective so it doesn't you know many different factors can change the way we feel about things so we can't be assessing it at every single point of our lives we have to be like okay at this point of trade it was a win-win or you know very shortly afterwards after we've had a chance to take it home and realize that okay we actually did get the the good that we were promised <laughs> you know i think that we have to do that but it's not in it's not really that important or too important to the larger conversation that we're having here so i think we just get past it instead of getting stuck in the weeds but i think one of the big things to take out of this is that ideally any trade that we do should be positive son meaning both parties should gain from the trade or feel like they've gained from the trade yeah that's definitely ideal yep all right we've covered a lot of ground today so we're kind of gonna leave it there but as like a bit of a primer for the oh actually first i'll, I'll do the takeaway for trade so my takeaway from this and what i think is important to keep in mind is that economic trade the exchange of goods and services between humans can take place in a direct or, or indirect manner i haven't covered that i'll do that in a second and both parties should always perceive a benefit from the exchange so the reason i didn't cover direct and indirect trade is because that's kind of what i want to leave uh for for next next time the next episode and just a brief overview of what I mean by those two terms is that there's two main ways that we can we can do economic trade. That is a direct method where you and I are both exchanging goods that we want to use personally. So we're both exchanging items that are ends in of themselves versus indirect trade, whereas one of us is trading a good that that um, we the other person wants and the other person is trading a good that they can use to trade for something else. So an indirect trade is where one item is an end is an end of itself and the other item is a means to an end does that make sense to you yeah that makes sense yeah so one of the items that gets traded or both items that get traded are not they're going to be traded again is basically what an indirect trade is yeah ideal yeah i think you're right i mean i have to think about that further both of them could be items that they're going to get traded again but ideally it'd be like and i guess that's when that'll that's a bit of a spoiler for what money is actually 
is that ideally one item is one that will be traded in the future versus the other item is it something someone something actually something somebody actually wants yes maybe the purpose of the trade was to trade it again rather than the purpose of trade was keep it for a period of time and then get rid of it so yeah so i think that in that that initial uh use case of what you're trading for whether it's for you or you're going to trade it to get something else is is where it happens but if I get something like a bike and I keep it for 10 years and then I trade it, it's it's still considered a direct trade when I actually got the bike. Yes. Yes. And again, time depends, man. It just <laughs> makes things complicated. Um, that's all I've got in my notes. Is there anything else you want to say before I close it out? No, I think maybe we can just walk through quickly the, the headings and just a brief walkthrough of where we've got to. So we've got to the point of, you know, obviously doing doing trading. Um, so I think we started with value, which was highly subjective. Everyone has their own perception of value um, and uh, there is no definitive definition of what something is worth. Uh, then we went to asset, which is goods or services. So goods are physical objects which we own and, and uh, when, we, when we trade them, they're relinquished, whereas a service is something we can provide from a skill or ability we have which is not transferred but reproducible. Yep, just to make sure that's clear, the asset itself in that situation is your ability to perform the skill, not the service. Correct, yes. So your, your, your skill or ability to do that. Uh, excess, which we talked about, is excess can be dependent. I think we gave a good example of survival all the way through to, to comfortable. But excess is what leads to trade because we have more of something than we need. Um, so therefore we trade it for something else that we want or need. Um, and then we came to economy, which is basically a system for trading, uh, for managing the, what was it? Distribution, production, production, production distribution, consumption and trade. Was no, it? that's no. it. Production, yep. distribution, consumption. Yep. Yep. And then trade is the act of, of uh, basically trading a good or service between between two parties yep and then once again because i really like this idea any trade is ideally positive sun so both parties feel like they're benefiting from that trade yes that's where we want as a society is that everyone's getting a benefit out of the trade yes i think so very well done very well summarized <laughs> thank you all right then my supplemental song suggestion for today is kush modi's creature comforts which is featuring nate Mondshine and Garth Taylor. And my quote for today, nothing's more expensive than experience. And that's by Tone Deaf from his song, Hunter. Thanks for joining us for this discussion today. Uh, we look forward to hearing any of your thoughts or opinions on the topic we just discussed. Until next time, and I guess after that, be well. <laughs>